Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Coming up on Squats and Margaritas. If you crash diet, you're going to lose muscle and fat. You're going to use both. Your body doesn't know to just go to that. So it is going to burn muscle too. When you regain the weight, you're going to regain it as fat, not muscle. Hey, senorita. Really nice to meet you. Have some tequila and say, Margaritas is like the best name for a podcast. <laughs> Thank you. I was always calculating calories and macros. And when I just calmed the F down, I found my physical ideal. Am I addicted to moderate drinking? You're very subtly admitting powerlessness and unmanageability. And I'm proud yeah. of you. That's beautiful. Did you struggle with actual eating disorders? Anorexia and bulimia. Um, wow. Thank you for saying for me, that. Katie Couric. Nothing screws up a kid more than having a parent on top of that kid all the time. Kenya Moore. Before I take a shower, I would always step on scale. And I saw my daughter starting to do that. Like, she doesn't know how to even read the numbers, but yeah. she saw me doing it. Actress Melissa Joan Hart. I remember the first time I was told I could be a movie star if I lost weighing? 10 pounds when I weighed 103. Pinky Cole. Were you high when you came up with the name? I was very high. <laughs> this is Squats and Margaritas. This week on Squats and Margaritas, it's Dr. Melina Jampolis. She's a medical doctor who is board certified and specializes in nutrition, which I'm learning is a rarity. Not many medical doctors have this specialty. You would just assume that medical doctors knew about nutrition, but they don't. For more than 20 years, Dr. Molina has specialized exclusively in nutrition for weight loss, disease prevention, and treatment. I found her on live with Kelly and Mark. I watch it daily in my relentless, but so far fruitless efforts in booking Kelly Ripa on squats and margaritas. She's a frequent guest who shares nutrition hacks, gut health and food swaps. I have learned so many little tips and tricks from her that I have her here to share today. Please do me a favor and hit subscribe wherever you're listening to this episode. And please, please take two seconds and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. Here is my episode with Dr. Melina Jampolis. So Dr. Melina, I found you on live with Kelly and Mark. Um, I've been watching for the past five years, probably religiously, in my relentless pursuit to book Kelly Ripa on squats and margaritas that has been fruitless thus far. <laughs> yeah. Good luck with that. I took me, it took me 17 years to get her to give me a one line quote for my latest book. So yeah, I've made it to her, like not just to her team. Like we're, we're Instagram DMing. I've made it into the primary inbox where she sees me and we'll talk. Well, I, I I'm, I'm trying. Um, yeah. but I see you all the time. Like you are such goals for like someone that has a brand and has knowledge to share. You're on all the shows and you are so good at what you do and making it relatable. And, you know, some doctors you'd have on and it's like, people are falling asleep. Like you are just such a pro at what you do. And I've seen you on the doctors and all the shows that you've done. You've given me so many little tips and tricks that I want to share with my audience. Um, so I'm hoping we can go through the things that I've learned from you and bring them to my audience today. 
I love it. Well, thank you so much. For, I never like set out to be on TV. Like live actually found me in 2007, randomly through the internet, no publicist, no nothing. And they're like, Hey, can you come on in January? And I'm like, Oh, okay. Can I talk about my book that I'm releasing too? And it was totally <laughs> random. So they came sometimes to it is just luck. No, you just, you putting yourself out into the world authentically as you are. And what was for you found you. First of all, you're a medical doctor that specializes in nutrition. And that is like not a common thing. That is a rarity. And you would think that medical doctors would be well-versed in nutrition, not the case. No. And it's so sad. Honestly, it's, it's the bane of my existence. And I've been on the board of the national board of physician nutrition specialists for a decade now, trying to introduce more nutrition education into medical education. And there's been periods of time where the government has supported that and then it's fallen off. And I don't understand because nutrition is fundamental to every disease head to toe. And if, and doctors, you know, even if they don't study it intensely, they need to have some basic knowledge so they can at least inspire their patients to, uh, uh, you know, pursue a nutrition approach in conjunction with traditional medicine. So it's, it's, it's crazy to me and it hasn't gotten any better in a decade. Um, but I'm hoping that I'm hoping that we're going to turn the corner with the latest White House conference on nutrition, which was the first one since like 1960. So, wow. Um, fingers crossed. Well, now you hear all the time, like hashtag food is medicine, but you're like, I've been saying this for 20 years. Like now it's like, cool. You were saying it before it was cool. And you went to medical school and then like, talk about what made you kind of pivot into having that specialty in nutrition. So four years of med school, three years of residency in internal medicine. And then I took my internal medicine boards and passed them by some miracle. Um, <laughs> and I started working uh, in an outpatient clinic. And after six months, I was like, what am I doing? All I do all day is put people on medications for high blood pressure, high cholesterol, diabetes. They're overweight. They're eating poorly. I am not helping people. I am not doing what I wanted to do in medicine, which was to really make a difference in people's lives. And so I actually took a brief, you know, deviation and, and went and worked for a startup medical device company because I'm like, maybe I'll do research and contribute to the field that way. And then I, again, accidentally got a job on Craigslist at a weight loss clinic just to pay the bills in San Francisco. And it was like an aha moment where I was like, you know what? not just through weight loss, but through better nutrition, I can make a much bigger difference in people's lives. So I embarked on this journey of, of self-education because that's what I had to do. And then got the board certification as a physician nutrition specialist back in 2004. And there's still less than like 300 of us in the United States. And most of them actually are in the inpatient side. So they're with critically ill patients. There's very few that are like me that are in the community really preaching the food as medicine, um, message. Yes. And it's, you say it's like by chance, you got that job. It all aligned that you got the job. So you're supposed to go there. So you can make this pivot to the next thing that you were supposed to do. You know, there's so much that can support cardiometabolic health, which is, you know, diabetes and, and, and heart disease. Um, and if you, want it to use that as an adjunct weight loss, it absolutely can. But you know, that's the thing that people don't realize is that with eating better, even if you don't lose weight, you are healthier. You, you, you can be, and you know, this from exercise too, right? Even, you know, if you're gaining muscle and losing fat, 
you're improving your body composition, you're improving insulin resistance, brain health, heart health, you name it. Inflammation. Inflammation. <laughs> yep. We said it at exactly go. the same time. That's what yep. it too. It's like, you may not be losing weight, but you're eating all this processed garbage and you're inflamed. That's what I want right. to talk about. So we can combat inflammation and the answer may be in our spice rack. Absolutely. And that, and that's another thing I have been giving a keynote, um, you know, on an anti-inflammatory diet for 15 years and now it's cool. And everybody's <laughs> talking about inflammation. So I'm like, Oh my God. And now, you know, it's like, wait, I've been doing this for a long time. People, nobody listen. Why is it cool now? Um, it's a combination of things. Obviously. I mean, you know, if you put some cinnamon on your ice cream, that's not really going to do a lot of good, but, right. um, Within, I, I, for me, what was so interesting about herbs and spices is it's such a low hanging fruit, right? Yeah. So it's just, you don't have to spend a fortune. You don't have to have a private chef do meal prepping, all organic, blah, blah, blah. If you really just kind of clean up your diet and add herbs and spices, and I'm a terrible cook, so I do this really simply, but in any eating occasion, whether it's adding oregano to your eggs, I put cinnamon, actually now I'm putting pumpkin pie spice in my coffee because mm -hmm. it's that season. So I usually do cinnamon, but little things like that really do add up. And, and spices and herbs are some of the most important anti-inflammatory compounds and getting a combination of them so you can work on all different pathways of inflammation is really a great way to kind of give an instant boost to your diet and reduce inflammation. And herbs and spices are potent antioxidants. Like why do we need to antioxidize? More squats and margaritas in a moment. Now this. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Now back to squats and margaritas. We're constantly being exposed to what's called oxidative stress. So that's, you know, and even, even metabolism in general, just a normal breakdown of food. You're producing toxins in your body, which your body naturally neutralizes. So basically toxins are just really damaging cells, oxidative stress, and they can damage cells, which causes inflammation or, you know, even like things like cancer. If you damage a cell enough, it can turn into that cycle. But, but so normal metabolism is one thing, but then we're being exposed to more and more stress in our environment, yes. the air we breathe, sunshine, food, water, you know, ultra processed food is much more stressful and pro oxidative on the body. So our demand for antioxidants in our diet has increased because of changes in our environment, our food supply, our water supply, our air in many, you know, urban places. Um, so we really do need to up our game when it comes to antioxidants and herbs and spices, obviously fruits and vegetables too, but you know, that's harder to do. And, and I talk a lot, my third book is actually calendar diet. I talk about eating seasonally and, and, you know, the antioxidants, if you're getting, you know, blueberries from Mexico in the winter, they're not going to be as rich in antioxidants as if it's, you know, seasonal and, and fresher and hasn't had time because antioxidants degrade over time um, and travel and light exposure. So um, herbs and spices are something that you can easily do. Although if your spice cabinet is collecting dust, 
you may want to replenish it because just like herbs and spices, you know, the antioxidants decrade over time. If they've been sitting in your cabinet for 17 years, they're not going to be as potent. So you really want, it's about a two to three year shelf life for dried herbs and spices. Mm -hmm. Um, If you grind your own, which who the heck has time to do that? But if you do, (laughs) it can last longer if it's whole whole spices, but but it's just an easy upgrade and antioxidant, anti-inflammatory, cardio, uh, diabetic, you know, blood sugar regulation, insulin resistance, which is where we tend to accumulate belly fat. A combination of herbs and spices works for all of that brain health, blood flow, all that sort of good stuff. And dried is fine. I know that you say you don't need to go buy fresh herbs. Like the dried is fine. And when, because you want a variety, get a blend. Like I'll see like an Italian seasoning blend. It's a blend of oregano and basil. And just, it's just, like you said, it's cumulative. It, it, over time. So every day, if you're just putting a sprinkle, it's going to make a difference as it builds up. Um, Let's go through some of your powerhouses. I know turmeric, turmeric. Yeah. I did. I had to like go online to see how to pronounce it. Is there an R? Turmeric. Do we pronounce the R? It's I I have no idea. Let's just, let's just go with turmeric, which you're, you're not a fan of the taste, but it's an important one. Oh yeah. I mean, and that's, it's, it also gets all the glory. It's like the anti-inflammatory kind of rock star. It, it is, uh, there's a reason that it is, you know, kind of the golden, the, you know, mm-hmm. golden child the of golden the spice, spice. world. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it, it's, it's actually very interesting. Cause I was that turmeric is actually what inspired me to research spices more and incorporate them into my practice because I attended a, um, a seminar that the NIH put on, believe it or not, about eight years ago now. And it was all about the potential health benefits, particularly the brain of turmeric. And I was like, wow, if this one spice can do all this, what about the others? Mm-hmm. And that's when I actually embarked on the journey of learning about spices and then educating. So, you know, see one, learn one, teach one. Um, so, uh, you know, that turmeric is, is, is really from a brain health standpoint. It also may have some benefit in inflammatory bowel disease because of being such a potent anti-inflammatory actually research back. But certainly there's a, I believe, and, and some research substantiates this, the population of Northern India actually has four times reduced risk of Alzheimer's disease. And one of the reasons I believe is because they use a lot of turmeric in their cooking. They combine it with black pepper, which increases the bioavailability by 2000%. And then they combine it with a little fat, which increases the absorption because polyphenols in turmeric are actually fat soluble. So they need a little fat to be absorbed effectively. So that's one of the theories of why you know, Northern India in particular has such reduced risk of Alzheimer's disease. So it's pretty exciting and it's real research. Yeah. And Indian food is making me think spicy too. And like research shows that spicier diets, like people live longer when they have a spicier diet. Um, talk about cayenne pepper. Well, that cayenne pepper is really interesting. And, and that is people, I say, I say this statistic in one of my books, I can't remember, but that <laughs> people who have spicier diets live 14% longer. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to have spice because some people really don't do well with digestion in terms of spice. But cayenne is interesting because even though it may make reflux worse, you know, heartburn, it actually, believe it or not, helps with ulcer healing. 
Uh, so it's kind of this dichotomy of effects when it comes to the GI tract. But um, for metabolism, this is one that really does have a thermogenic boost. So you get a little bit of, of after you eat, you get a little bit of excess calorie burning just from the increase the heat factor. Let's just yeah. call it that to make it simple. Mm -hmm. um, so that's quite interesting. Um, but it, it it really does have, so I would say from a weight loss standpoint, that's not that you're going to eat super spicy food all the time, right. but adding a little bit. I'm a big believer in small changes adding up when it comes to weight loss instead of dramatic overhauls. And that's a really good one when it comes to, you know, getting a little boost in metabolism, which who, who can't use that? I mean, really, come on. We're, we're really, so we're so sedentary as a population that every little bit adds up and I'm lazy. Right. So I just put, I, if I do store-bought chili, I just add a little extra, you know, cayenne to it to totally. kick it up and up. Yeah, and it's not a, this is such, like you said, it's low, spices are low hanging fruit. You're, it's just a pinch. You're now I put nutmeg or cinnamon in my coffee from you. Cinnamon for blood sugar regulation is really the rock star. It, it has really great research and, you know, Women, as we age and our hormones start getting a little wonky, that uh, that thing that I talked about, insulin resistance, where your body doesn't respond as well to carbohydrates. And I say weight shifts from your butt to your gut. But I'm your waiting gut. for you to say it. <laughs> oh, yep. There you go. I have to say that. I said it on the doctors the first time and Travis was like, I love, really, that's a thing. And I'm like, absolutely. And it's the worst thing for a woman. Like you just, you're trying to grow your butt and get rid of your belly. Like butt to gut is like the opposite of your whole life goal. <laughs> I know, but that's hormonal, right? I mean, yeah. it's, it, and it sucks and it's, but that's where at least insulin resistance, it can't build up your butt, but it can help with the gut, you yeah. know? So we've got, it's at least half the equation. Nutmeg is a really interesting one. It's very good for skin health it actually blocks one of the enzymes that breaks down collagen in your skin. So nutmeg is a great one for, um, you know, preventing, minimizing some of the aging effects in your skin. So, but that's where pumpkin pie spice has, you know, cinnamon, clove, nutmeg, because nutmeg alone is for me is a little strong. Like I don't love it alone yeah. in my coffee. Sometimes I do it because I'm like, I need to, you know, protect my face, <laughs> but I'd rather have it in pumpkin pie spice. But I love the fact that you talk about blends because that is, that's even easier. Yeah. Like, you know, uh, Chinese five spice, you know, Provence, herb de Provence, Italian spice blend, you know, uh, India, any Indian spice curries are a blend, right? Yep. You can get curry powder and it, it, and then put a little cayenne in and cumin, cumin's my favorite. Um, my favorite taste wise. And actually from a belly fat standpoint, it has the most robust research. They did it in India. Now, granted, it's more it's more cumin than we would ever eat, probably. But they gave women they put it in yogurt in India, and they three times a day, and they had significantly reduced belly fat from just that one intervention. And I happen to love the taste, so I put it in guacamole, I put it in chili, I put it in anything that I can put it in because I love the taste. But that one is really a rock star when it comes to um, belly fat. So these are kind of some of the star players in my spice up slim down book. Um, ginger is another one. Talk about a thermic and that actually in pumpkin pie spice, but ginger studies show actually for this one, I even like tea because yeah. studies show that you have a cup of ginger tea before a meal and it increases caloric burn after that meal. It increases the thermic effect. And it can also help with satiety, which is fullness. So who can't use that, right? We all exactly. kind of 
We eat with our eyes, not with our stomach. So if we have any tool to help us regulate appetite. So, I mean, I could go on and on. You can see I'm very passionate right. about no, it. No, I love it. I would, you're making me think nutmeg because you said it has an anti-aging benefit. Are there any other spices that have anti-aging benefits that you would like to share? <laughs> Um, yes, I would. Thank you for asking. It's funny. We didn't even prep this before, but I feel like we're on the same page. Rosemary is actually one I love. And I love the backstory too. So Napoleon's doctor used to actually have him bathe in rosemary baths because he told him it would help him prevent aging. And now we know that rosemary is one of the most powerful antioxidants and and when it comes to protecting your skin, but also just your entire body systemically from aging. From um, And one of my colleagues at UCLA did a really cool study where when you cook meats at high temperatures, when you char them kind of, it increases the formation of cancer-causing compounds called heterocyclic amines. When you add rosemary to a steak or a marinade before grilling, it decreases those cancer-causing compounds by 70%. That one intervention. So rosemary is an anti-aging rock star. Um, Fresh is great. I can't figure out how to do it. I actually have rosemary in my garden and I'm like, I pick it and I have such good intentions and it sits on the counter and I'm like, what am I going to do with this? What am I like? All I can come up with rosemary potatoes. So if any of your audience has a great rosemary recipe, <laughs> please message me, email me, find me because I'm really desperate because I, I, you know, who doesn't want to slow aging and naturally, right? We don't need to yeah. spend, well, we a little bit on Botox, but you know, not too much. <laughs> Speaking of aging, I want to talk to you about sarcopenia, muscle loss. Like I know like a lot of moms that are fit moms listen to this. Is there anything that we could be eating to combat muscle loss as we approach maybe like perimenopause age? I love that question. And I'm, I'm 53. So it's not as much of a concern for, for younger women. Sarcopenia is really age-related muscle loss. And that's related to hormones, not inactivity. Mm -hmm. um, but I would say, and I'm sure you're a big believer in this, first of all, for women, don't be afraid to lift heavy or push yourself. Like yes. women, as they get older, they get like timid. I mean, I'm kind of crazy, but I'm still like ski <laughs> racing with my kids, like skiing moguls like I did. And I've had three knee surgeries and a back surgery. I should know better. But like you, you've got to push yourself you've, and, and you've got to push yourself more. And I think with with women, as you age, I used to work a lot with pro athletes and, and I know you were a competitive athlete as well. One of the other things is, is they don't fuel their body correctly to build or maintain muscle. Yep. Um, so if you're at a caloric deficit, your body is, even if you eat ample amounts of protein, your body is going to use that protein as fuel, not to build or replenish muscle. Yep. So and one of the tricks, so one of the tricks that I do with my patients who are trying to lean down and build at the same time, which most doctors and sports nutritionists say is not possible, but it is possible. You just have to be really, really good is I will. And my, my, my sports nutrition mentor, Dr. Cindy Woods taught me this um, with athletes is if you bracket your workout. So you have a window pre and post workout where your body, I'm sure you've talked about this is more susceptible to absorbing amino acids in the muscle 30 minutes pre-post a trick if you're losing weight is to like do if you want to lose weight and maintain or build muscle 
is to do a smoothie, you know, whatever you want with protein, obviously, and do half pre-workout and half post. And that's called bracketing your workout so that what you're doing is ensuring that you have an adequate supply of amino acids being delivered to your muscle, both pre and post workout. And it's going to be more likely because of the whole hormonal environment that's inspired by the workout that that those amino acids, even if you're at a caloric deficit will be used to build or replenish muscle, preserve muscle. So that's my little trick of the day. Um, that's what I would recommend, you know, obviously eating an anti-inflammatory diet is very important. People don't realize that as you age, inflammation can contribute to sarcopenia. Um, so that's important, but I think, you know, how you eat pre and post workout and then pushing yourself in your workouts, you know, you're not going to, you know, I do hate it when trainers say you're not going to bulk up because I, I don't completely agree with that. So I was a soccer player growing up. And, and so if I lift heavy in my legs, I bulk up a little bit. I'm not, I, I'm not going to, you know, we need to be honest with women. I'm sick of like the, you're not going to bulk up, but with my upper body, I like I can lift. I mean, first of all, I think it looks cool and sexy to have like right. ripped deltoids and some biceps, yes. but you're, you know, unless you were an athlete growing up, unless, and most of us weren't athletes that if you were a swimmer, you know, you, you're probably going to build. And so I would do and you're, you can speak more to this, you know, than I can, but you know, I would do high reps, lower weight, but for for the average person, for the average woman, you're not going to bulk up. If you're, you know, if, unless you were an athlete, you're not going to, and you're going to lose the muscle and you're going to be skinny fat if you do it the wrong way. And I have a lot of patients, especially in LA, because everybody's a little on the neurotic side, but I have a lot of skinny fat patients that they're like, I fit into my jeans, but I still look terrible. And I'm like, Okay, well, I've told you you need to lift you or or hike, but hike on an incline, whatever. I don't do a lot of lifting because I don't have time, but I hike and I do push-ups every other day. So um, you know, I try to do everything I can. This is my favorite topic. Squats and Margaritas was my first book because I found that it's not starving and doing cardio. It's lifting and it's lifting heavy. And it's stopping all the obsession. The margarita part is everything is um, allowed. Nothing is off limits. And then there's no reason to binge was kind of my message. But I say, I do say you won't to, to the average woman that is when you say lift heavy, everyone pictures that woman like, and that bodybuilder woman who your, your body will not do that naturally. You don't have the testosterone to do that naturally. I would always stick to lower weights because I'd say, I just want to tone. I don't want to be like big and bulky. I had zero muscle tone when I lifted lightweight. So if you want that tone, what you're describing that you get the tone lifting heavy, you're not. So I would say, you're not going to bulk, you're going to tone. And when women are shying away from the heavier ones thinking bulk, if you want that tone, so you're sticking to low weight, low weights, just to tone, you're never going to tone until you start lifting heavy. And when you put the muscle on your body, it's the most metabolically active tissue on the body. The more you have, the more you burn. So you can eat more like muscle is such a game changer. And so that's why I'm scared of like sarcopenia, but you talk about this too. I struggled with bulimia, anorexia. I abused my body for over a decade. And I know a lot of women with like the crash dieting. Can you speak on like what like a lifetime of crash dieting does to your body composition? Yeah, that's a really good question. And it's a complicated question, but I'll take it in in, in different phases because okay. different things pop into my mind with that. First of all, 
as you age, as if there's perimenopausal, pre-peri or postmenopausal women listening to this, as you age, it becomes much harder to regain the muscle. If you crash diet, you're going to lose muscle and fat. You're going to use both. Your body doesn't know to just go to that. So it is going to burn muscle too. So when you regain the weight, you're going to regain it as fat, not muscle. So I see this with women with these cycles of crash diets. They're must, and I, I, so I have a body composition scale. I've had it since I started my practice. So I, every time a patient comes in, I do not, I don't even tell them their weight. I tell them their body composition because that's what matters. That's what, you know, you fit into your clothes. I, I, you know, anyways, so, you know, for that, that cycle, first of all, you will, you will become fatter percentage wise, even at the same weight with every cycle like that. Number two, research has shown that crash dieting can actually have a negative impact on your immune system. COVID, we just got through it. It's still a thing. We still get the flu. Nobody wants their immune system impaired. So that's number two. Number three is when you look at more dramatic studies, like the biggest loser studies, we see something called metabolic adaptation, where people really do. If you starve yours, if you go too quick, your metabolism really does drop more than it should from just losing muscle. Because as you say, muscle burns three to four times more calories than fat. So that's why it's a metabolic win. Yeah. But these really extreme crash diets, and, and obviously Biggest Loser is the most extreme, but 10 years later, their metabolism is still lower than expected from just the weight loss. There are long-term effects to crash dieting, which I think are, you know, you whatever. First of all, if you're just trying to lose five pounds fast, it's not going to be all fat, you know? So it's th those things. But I think the biggest concern is probably loss of muscle, which e with each repeated cycle. And I mean, if you're younger and you work really hard to rebuild the muscle, you can. But most of my mid-aged women, like I would say 45 and up, it's really hard to rebuild muscle. I mean, I mean, you can, I've done it. Certainly I've had three surgeries, so I've had to rehab a lot. Yeah. Although for me, I can tell you my last one was when I was um, 49 and actually the doctor didn't want to do the surgery. He's like, why do you need me to do your knee repair at your age? Do you really need it? And I was like, you did not just say that to me. Like I am, I mean, I, I couldn't believe it. I was like, at 49? Like yeah. you're done living? Like you're done. Well, well, I guess he thought I was done ski racing, yeah, which I'm like, no, no, I'm an old mom. I have young kids. I want to ski better than on bumps until, well, forever. But, you know, they're starting to, they're starting to catch up, which is really sad. How old are okay. your kids? I have nine and 13 year old boys. So, oh um, and they're both killer skiers. And I used to race when I was little. Um, so, but they can totally smoke me on the, even my nine-year-old can totally smoke me, but on the moguls, they can't, they can't keep up. Mommy still got it on the moguls, but I don't doubt it's only it. a matter of time. <laughs> I, while we're on this uh, weight loss, you know, I have to ask you about Ozempic. What are mm. your thoughts there? More squats and margaritas in a moment. Now this guys, I have found the magic. And who would I be to not share that magic with you, my loyal Squats and Margaritas listeners? 
If you are looking for a little extra something, maybe you're going out with the girls tonight. Maybe you have a date with your husband. Maybe you have a big work event. Maybe you just want to look bomb while you're out on your daily walk. You need Rejuvalift. Rejuvalift is a tightening clay that you just tap wherever you need it. Forehead, those little 11s between your eyebrows. I use it on the bags under my eyes, my crow's feet. You tap it wherever you need it. You let it sit in four minutes and the results last for up to seven hours. Make Rejuvalift the first step in your beauty routine. Even before you put on makeup, I have tried it. I am obsessed. It is magic. And now Squats and Margaritas listeners can get 20% off at rejuvaliftbeauty.com using code margaritas. That's R-E-J-U-V-A-L-I-F-T-Beauty.com and use promo code margaritas. 20% off, free shipping. You're welcome. Now back to Squats and Margaritas. I think it's a great drug. I love it. I think it's I think for my patients that really need it, it is a game changer. Um, I think obesity is a very, I have been doing this for 22 years. Mm -hmm. Obesity is a very complex disease, brain, you know, insulin resistance. I think Ozempic for the right patient is a game changer. I think they need to stay on it. I think it's markedly abused by the general public. And I think it needs to be done in conjunction with a good weight loss program. I see a ton of my patients, actually not patients, because I I make them come in every month, but I see my friends doing it and they're like the Ozempic face, the skinny fat, they're losing muscle. And the minute they stop that drug, it's going to be, you have to stay on it for a while. I mean, I would say at least a year. I, I believe that once you get to your goal weight, you have to stay on it for at least six months, slowly taper off so that your body adapts to that new set point. That's just, you know, there's not a lot of guidance for physicians yet because it's relatively new, but that's how I do it with my patients. I think it's a total game changer, but I think, you know, it it, it doesn't work for everybody and mm. you really have to do the work still. You Otherwise, you're going to lose muscle and uh, you're not going to learn how to eat better to control your weight. And you're just going to regain the weight just like everything else. But it's my favorite weight loss drug so far. That's what I was thinking too. It's like when you go off, if you haven't learned to eat in a way that you can sustain it and maintain your weight and sustain this without having the drug, like it's obviously going to come back on. And I truly, I, I wish I remember who said it. Now I can't, I, somebody, I saw somebody doing an interview that struggled with eating disorders. Like I did. I want to say it was like one of the real housewives. And she was like, it scares me that these women, like they get a taste of like, they get super thin on Ozempic, then they go off it. And now that they've seen like a skinnier version that it could lead to an eating Body dysmorphic. And yeah, I was like, Ooh, like that kind of what, because they've never seen themselves like this. And then they take the drug and they get this like fix almost of like seeing a smaller version of themselves. Then it turns into yeah. Dot, body dysmorphia or an eating disorder. And I just think that I, I wasn't thinking of it like that. And no, I didn't either. Now that, but now that you say that, that's, I have a, I have a friend who is in the public eye who that's probably happened to, because she's never, I see her just shrinking and yeah. she's probably, it's like a drug. You get hooked on it because like it or not, you know, with women, we still, you know, whatever that, who is it? Anna Winter, you can never be too rich or too thin. Like we still in the back of our minds, there's a little voice that says that, but I don't know for me, I, I like 
I mean, I don't know how old your population is, but like seeing Madonna's arms or Michelle Obama or that chick in Terminator, yeah. like <laughs> that to me is so awesome. Like that's Dude. what I aspire to. I mean, right. I, you know, I, uh, I, I think that's the best, but yeah. And I think, you know, as women, we're, that's not necessarily how we're brought up to, you know, no, you don't. You don't get validated for that. You get validated. You're thin and then you get validation. And then I just read Jack. I'm interviewing Jackie Goldschneider. She's a real housewife of New Jersey and she shared everything of her anorexia battle. And she went to therapy for it, like admitted it on like during the season. And she was like, I felt unnoticed. And when I was thin and I knew I was the thinnest person in the room, I was noticed. So she just equated, if I start eating again, I'm going to go back to being invisible because when you're thin, you're validated and you're noticed. And it was like, she could not imagine not being noticed anymore. And because thin got her noticed, she couldn't quit. Like you just keep going. Um, there are some people, it was making me think too, you talk about nutrigenetics, which I, think is so fascinating. And, um, I heard you on a podcast talking about how there was a study about like vitamin D, um, absorption. And it was like, well, these people aren't getting it. And you're like, because they have a genetic component that doesn't let them. Can you talk about that? How that plays kind of into like weight loss or just like life, like the nutrigenetic component. It's really more about life. So that's my new company, Ahara, um, which is a, personalized and precision nutrition company. And nutrigenetics is one of the things that we do along with epigenetics, which tells you your biologic age and your rate of aging. But with nutrigenetics, and there's a lot of noise out there. There's a lot of the competition that is not really scientifically validated, but there are really, we all have genetic vulnerabilities in our DNA that make us not absorb or process nutrients as well as we should for optimal health. So when you look at the government guidelines, the RDA, the daily value, that's based on a population. That's to get the, you know, it's here's the middle, here's this side, here's this side. And on average, people will do better with this dose. That is so not precise. That means that 50% of the people are not going to be optimal on that dose and 50% are. A lot of that variability is genetically mediated. I can tell you vitamin D is one, and that's a very robust data to where we know that people with a combination of two genes uh, need a thousand IUs more of vitamin D to reach optimal health. And vitamin D is important for bone health, for metabolic health, for immune health. We're learning more and more for brain health. We're learning more and more about its benefits every single month with research. The one that's really interesting for me and maybe for your audience, actually definitely for your audience, if it's more women, there is a genetic variant and I have it and I have two copies of it. So one from each parent, where if I don't get enough choline, which you can get from eggs and other animal-based products and some plant, my risk of dementia, increased liver fat, and even if I was pregnant, which of course I'm not, but having not being able to have my baby's brain develop effectively goes up 25 times with this one genetic variant, which I have. So the irony is I don't, I didn't, eat a lot of eggs. I, I'm just not a real big egg person. I never have been. When I found out about this genetics and it becomes more important when you start going through menopause because when you're younger, 
estrogen can offset that a little bit, but when you're my age, it can't. Mm -hmm. So not only do I eat more eggs now, but I also take a choline supplement because I, I just can't get in the habit of eating enough eggs. But knowing these genetic vulnerabilities, that's the future. I mean, it's here now. You can do it again with Ahara. We have actually a free basic membership, but you do have to pay obviously to get the genetic test. Um, but it is great information and you only need to do it once. And the insight, so some of the most important insights that are really ready for prime time are, as you said, vitamin D, vitamin B12, particularly for women who are vegetarians, omega-3 fatty acids. We talk about inflammation. There is genetic variability in your response to dietary omega-3 fatty acids. And then choline, I think those are my top four when it comes to really, really important uh, genetically based nutrient recommendations. And that's what my new company does because I wanted to be more precise in my recommendations. I've been talking about anti-inflammatory diets for 17 years. Now I'm upping my game and talking about more precision nutrition. And then you'll see 10 years from now, everybody's going to be saying this too, maybe even five years from now. But um, this is really where we need to go with nutrition. And the government is actually committed to it too. They're doing a 10-year study. Um, My company is about three years ahead of the government study already in the research that we're doing. So it's really exciting. I'm super passionate about it as passionate as I am about herbs and spices. So precision nutrition (laughs) and herbs and spices, those are my two passions. That is incredible. There could be someone that's pregnant listening to this right now that has that variant with choline and doesn't even know that they have it. So is it like a swab? Like a, how do you test? Yeah, the genetic test is just a cheek swab. So it's super easy. Um, But the good news is, is that now because of this research, most prenatal vitamins have choline in them. So, but you're right. If you have a genetic, like, honestly, I I actually have, I'm scared that because I didn't get enough and and whatever, I don't want to scare people because that's not my goal. (laughs) My goal is to inspire them. But I didn't, I I asked my husband, I'm like, did I eat a lot of eggs when I was pregnant? And he's like, no, except for when we went to brunch on Sundays. And I was like, my God, I hope my prenatal had choline in it. But I think even starting you know, a decade ago, they were starting to put choline in prenatals. So, um, and both my kids, it's very important for brain development and knock on wood, both my kids are super smart. So I think I did okay, but you know, stuff like that. I mean, that that's like game changing, right? I mean, that's like so important. And, and, um, so it's exciting. It's in my company, we're doing a ton of research, um, in addition to the consumer facing brand, um, you know, and, and I'm really, really excited about being able to contribute to the field in a profound way, um, because that's my next phase. I didn't mean to be a TV person or all this, you know, on camera stuff. Research was always in my heart. I've just never been able to and, and do that. And now I'm, I feel like I'm really becoming self-actualized and doing and coming full circle to where I always wanted to be, which is doing research and contributing to the field and having the media platform to be able to disseminate that information. Yes. And use the platform for this work, like this kind of, I, I I'm excited to even just be able to bring it to more people, what you're doing. I'm just going to throw some other things at you that I learned from you that maybe you just pop through, um, I just take a probiotic because I thought I'm supposed to every day. It is not a, there's no strain specificity, but you say a prebiotic is actually more important than a probiotic. So what am I even doing? (laughs) Yeah, that's what the, 
um, you know, so oh, here's my thing on probiotics. There is so there are we, we do know that there there is strain specificity. So that means specific strains of bacteria have specific actions. So if you're just taking it for optimal health, it may or may not be relevant. I um, I usually recommend it to two sets of people. Number one, if you've been on antibiotics recently, I definitely recommend a multi-strain probiotic to replenish your gut bacteria. Number two, if you have any sort of di digestive issues, irritable bowel, constipation, diarrhea, anything like that, certainly worth being on a probiotic. But okay. you're right. The research shows that a prebiotic, and by the way, herbs and spices are great prebiotics, <laughs> as are fruits and vegetables and, and whole grains, because it's fiber. It's a type of fiber. Okay. But prebiotics actually have more of an impact on your native bacteria in your gut and improving what already lives there, not what you're taking in externally. So that's why for overall health, I mean, you can do probiotics. We have a couple with my company that I recommend to people for specific reasons. We have three different types, um, but you have to think about the prebiotic especially big picture, long-term health, maintaining gut health, which of course is important for immune health and a lot of other things. We're learning gut brain access. We're learning a lot about that. Um, but yeah, so that's right. my shtick with probiotics. I think that's what it was like overall health. I'm just maintaining my gut health by taking these probiotics, but like, just cause I thought I was supposed to. And then I heard you talk about prebiotics. Another question, when I'm at the smoothie place and I add protein, they're always like whey, soy, or pea protein. And I'm always just like, just whatever, which one should I choose? What's the most like bang for your buck? And should I be afraid of soy because of a breast cancer link? Okay, so let's start with that first. Um, the the so, unprocessed soy is, is not linked with breast cancer. Okay. Processed soy, which is in a powder, yep. we don't know, you oh. know, so I don't think you need to be afraid of it, but we don't know. But things okay. like edamame and tofu and, and you know, definitely you don't need to be concerned about. Um, when it comes to muscle building, I think, um, you know, the research is kind of equivocal. I mean, my gut reaction is always to say whey. That okay. is, you know, the most important for, um, it's the you know, the most complete protein, well, soy is complete as well, has all the, you know, essential amino acids, but whey is higher in branch chain amino acids, particularly leucine, which is better. It, it stimulates muscle growth more. So that's what the research is. But if you're eating at, so especially as you age, you want something that's going to stimulate, stimulate muscle protein synthesis more, which, which whey is the clear winner. But for the average person, you know, you could probably do any of them as long as you're getting enough dietary protein. So I personally find that pea protein tastes like dirt a lot of the time. <laughs> okay. And if they're making it taste good, it means they're adding a lot of sugar, which is, you know, not great. Although again, you have to understand, and you probably know this doing more sports nutrition is that you need some, especially post-workout, you need some sugar to help the protein, the amino acids enter the cells, right? So just having, when people are doing these straight, you know, whey, well, first of all, whey is also one of the proteins that can be broken down into and converted into sugar. So it has different benefits. So people who are doing like keto or high protein mm. and low, super low carb, they may be okay with whey, 
without having a carb source, um, you know, but it, it's, it's nuanced, but I mean, I would say for the average person at the gym way, or, you know, a way P blend, there's another thing. I mean, I could go on. I have a lot of information in my brain. Whey is a fast acting protein. P is a slower acting protein. So you might have more satiety or fullness. That's why you combine whey and casein. Like when I was working with athletes, we combine whey and casein because whey is fast acting. Casein is slow acting. So the combination um, releases amino acids in a more, you know, smooth pattern over time and can help manage appetite better. So you know, you could do a, a, a whey pea combination if you're looking to control oh. appetite more. Okay. Thank you. Perfect. You're welcome. <laughs> what is one food we should immediately add to our diets and one we should immediately remove? More squats and margaritas in a moment. Now this. Now back to squats and margaritas. Like chia is one of my top foods. I mean, my mom complains because it gets stuck in her teeth, but I'm like, mom, get over it. It's going to lower your cholesterol (laughs) and help you control blood sugar. Great source of soluble fiber, plant-based protein, and plant-based omega-3 fatty acids. I would say chia seeds add um, one thing to take away. Uh, I don't know. I'm not. Is there like uh, an inflaming food that like people just don't realize how bad this is for you? Like anything that. I'm just trying to uncover something like red pepper has more vitamin C than an orange. And you're like, that doesn't make sense. Is there something like that that you're like, people don't get this or don't realize that this is actually harmful or bad for you or inflammatory and people assume it's healthy? No, I think any ultra processed food, okay. um, which, which means, what does that mean? Cause a lot of people throw that around too. I'm yes. really talking about it. It means that if you look at the ingredients, there's like nothing that actually it's, you know, parts of corn, artificial flavor, artificial sweetener, artificial emulsifier. Um, you know, no, I don't care if it's organic, if it's coconut sugar, if it's this and that, if it's an ultra processed food, it's not healthy. It, I'm not saying you have to cut it off from your diet because right. I'm a big believer in not cutting it, but you know, don't fool yourself. You know, I mean, I would say one of the biggest things is that, you know, the, the candy with, Oh, it's coconut sugar and, and coconut oil and this and that, like, and it has natural colors in the, I mean, is it, is it better than traditional candy? Yeah. Is it a health food? No, it's not. So I, 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 you don't need to cut it. I do it. I have a guilty, my guilty pleasure is like (laughs) these smart sweets. Do you know those little, like they're, I don't know all na- they're expensive very expensive but they're so i'm addicted to gummy bears uh, sa- sour gummy bears yeah. and these smart sweets i get them on amazon and they're natural you know they're not artificial sweeteners which i really try to stay away from i cut when i cut like diet soda i only have it on special occasions that's that's one that maybe i would say the effect on my appetite and overall energy level i i cut diet soda about 10 years ago i Full disclosure, I used to drink a Coke Zero for breakfast every morning. And when I stopped that, I swear to God, I dropped 10 pounds fairly effortlessly and my appetite was better controlled the entire day. So maybe diet soda would be one that I'm like, mm, for me, cutting diet soda uh, made a big difference. And that's just, you know, anecdotal, but I think there's some pretty good research on artificial sweeteners, particularly in beverage form that we should really pay more attention to. Speaking of beverage form, um, do you have any thoughts on alcohol being this is the squats and margaritas podcast, but I will say I am sober curious and I am 
really on that path. So you're not going to offend me <laughs> on your true thoughts of alcohol on the body. I'm going to be very honest with Please. you because I think honesty is the best policy. I want it. I have blocked out the potential harmful effects of alcohol because I enjoy it so much. I, I, I did really, not think you were going to say that. <laughs> Thank you. I, <laughs> I, I understand it intellectually. I understand that the research, I would say for women having seven drinks a week on average is probably okay. Now, again, there's genetic variability with that, right? There's a specific genotype that if you have it, alcohol is more detrimental in terms of brain health. Thank God I don't have that one. But for me, I mean, and in a perfect world, I would love to limit it to seven drinks a week. And I do some weeks and I don't other weeks. What I don't do is have is I don't do margaritas. I do tequila with lime, so lime club soda. Yeah. So I, I do not, I, I'm very clear about the sugary mixers that I don't ever do. Mm-hmm. I have wine. The fact that people think wine is high in sugar is completely wrong. It has like two to three grams of sugar. That's less than a teaspoon. Um, but if I'm drinking hard alcohol, I'd never do sugary mixers. So I okay. do bourbon and soda, tequila and soda, or I love my red wine. And, you know, I was a doctor in Napa, so I have, or in the Bay area. So I have a lot of, but you know, I'm just, I'm just, listen, I do, I do 80% of things. Right. Um, and alcohol I'm, you know, I, I, I debate myself a a lot and I I have good intentions a lot of days. And then I come home and I've had a crazy day and the kids are demanding. I'm like, I have to have a glass of wine just to take the edge off. And then maybe it's a second one to take more of the edge off. But I I just, I'm, that's just real. That's just me being real in terms of the research. I think it's pretty, you know, solid that up to seven drinks a week for women is okay. Binge drinking isn't good. That's where we put the research. Yes. And that's the thing I can moderate. And I, I have to be cognizant that not everyone can moderate. So I've been told before that I need to use my platform and speak to, to everyone. And if people can't moderate that it's irresponsible, but I still enjoy, I, I don't binge drink, but I enjoy a glass of wine or a beer with my meals. And I feel deprived when I don't have it. It is something that I enjoy and I know that I can moderate. So that's what I do. And I don't want to ever tell someone to drink if they can't moderate, but I had to ask there. Cause I, I mean, I feel like it's all the rage now, like the sober mom movement yeah. and people come for me and I am actually drinking way less. And I am cognizant. I, I don't binge drink, but I will have a glass of wine or two. And yeah. I, when I don't, I feel deprived. Some people are like that with sweets, right? I mean, for True. me, I'd much rather have a glass of wine than dessert. I just Dang. would. I mean, that's just, and yeah. so, you know, and I think you have to look at nutrition and lifestyle in its totality. You can't villainize any specific thing. And that's a really important message for people to understand. And and you can't have the all or nothing mentality that I think, I mean, yes. but again, don't start drinking to be healthier, no. <laughs> right? But right. don't stop drinking to be healthier necessarily, but it's nuanced. So people will probably come for me. They come for me for everything, you know, whatever, but it's um, it's it's not all or nothing. It's what you said. When you say it's off limits, it just makes it more enticing. But for me, like I I can't drink. And then you're like, it's all you think about. If you can have it, there's no reason to binge. Everything is allowed. That was what my first book was about. I know you have to run, um, talk about practically healthier podcasts. 
Oh, yeah. Thank you. I forgot about that. Uh, last <laughs> but not least. Well, you know, it's just it's like this. It's real. But but for me, it was really important. And, and, and it's hard. It takes a lot of time, as you know. But, you know, I for me, it's really important to interview experts and ask them the real questions and also push them to make it practical. So like, I'll give you one example and then I got to run, but so like Barry Sears is a good friend of mine. He wrote the zone diet, all the zone diet books. Okay. He's a brilliant guy, nutritional biochemist. I have a lot of respect for him. He, one of the snacks in his book, the original zone diet is like one macadamia nut. And I was seriously like, I'm like, Barry, (laughs) when have you ever sat down and eaten one macadamia nut? And he's like, Melina, food is a drug. I'm like, no, 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 no. Just answer the question. Like, what is a practical way? For me, that's not, who sits down and has one macadamia nut and a quarter of an apple as a snack? Right. So I really, whether it's a celebrity, a pro athlete, an expert, you know, even somebody who may be a lot smarter than me in a specific field, like Barry is in nutritional biochemistry, but I'm still going to push them to explain the science in a way we can understand and to make it practical. Because at the end of the day, if it's not practical, you're not going to do it on a regular basis. And if you don't build those healthy habits, you're not going to be healthier long-term. You need to be consistent. That's the key. That is exactly why I have you here today. Like a medical doctor that makes things practical and that talks the way that you do. Like I, this was everything I wanted it to be. Um, Where can people find you if they want more? Uh, well, they can go to learn about my company. You go to ahara.com, A-H-A-R-A. Um, I have a website too, Dr. Molina, and on Instagram, either Ahara or Dr. Molina. I'm doing a lot more for Ahara because that's my heart and the research now. But, you know, um, a lot of my media appearances and different stuff like that, I just put on Dr. Molina because I don't want to be like talking about myself all the time. I'm actually kind of like, I don't love being in the public eye. So I, I don't like to, like my friends are always surprised when they see me on TV at the gym. They're like, wait, you didn't tell us you're going to be on this show. So you do um, it those well. are the two best places. <laughs> yeah, Dr. Molina on Instagram for all the tips. Thank you so much for so much of your time. Thank you so much. It was great talking. We'll talk afterwards about Kelly. Thank you so much for listening to the Squats and Margaritas podcast. If you haven't subscribed, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And I'll see you next week for a brand new episode of Squats and Margaritas. 